Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Tea and Biscuits and today I'm speaking with my old Cornish colleague and dear dear friend Simon Harvey. Hi Simon. Good morning. (laughs) Um, Have you got a biscuit with you and if you have what is it and if you haven't what would your virtual biscuit be? So I haven't got a biscuit with me um, but my virtual biscuit would be the Humble Digestive. I've rediscovered them during lockdown. Uh, and I love the versatility of a, of, a, of a digestive, a simple digestive, sweet or savoury, with cheese. <laughs> it's a bit like doing penance, though. It's a bit like a hair shirt, isn't it, of a biscuit? Oh, no. See, I've got really into it. And, and weirdly, my son, who was very disappointed that that's all that we had at Nana's, then suddenly realised how good they are and how Moorish they are. So how has your lockdown been? Paint me a picture. Where have you been? What's it been like? So I've been at home in Truro in Cornwall uh, with my wife Helen and my two kids, Ethel and Stan, who have both been off school the whole way through. So we've been homeschooling. <laughs> Helen works for the Hall for Cornwall in Truro. She's worked full time all the way through. And I managed somehow when we first went into lockdown to get busier than I was before lockdown. And I don't quite know how that happened. So it's been pretty chaotic trying to trying to um, balance working and homeschooling and all of that stuff but it's been lovely as well to spend so much time together well I know that's it's been so odd hasn't it because I mean I know you more than almost anybody else I know because you have such a amazing palette of work that you do and you're freelance to your core aren't you you're always working on about five projects at any one time yeah, yeah. And, and as we went into lockdown, I was I was directing a piece for Falmouth University, a third year piece, which they quickly, to their credit, they quickly reshuffled it and made it a sort of online delivery thing. But I was also, as you said, slipped in a couple of other projects at the same time. So I ended up basically for the first four weeks of lockdown on uh, Teams, which is the Microsoft version of Zip This, Zoom six seven hours a day just doing half hour tutorial half hour tutorial half hour tutorial getting videos from students noting it sending it back so it was exhausting as you know this this format looking down a webcam is exhausting it's really tiring and yeah you spin so many plates because for people who don't know you simon harvey i'm gonna i'm just gonna start and then you can chip in okay is uh an actor a theater director a film producer and a teacher and uh, an actor in films as well what have I missed out um, I think that's everything I do quite a lot of stuff with young people as well so I'd say a workshop leader you might have said that no I didn't no that as well so you're, you're constantly you've got this amazing sort of portfolio which is all growing like a weird Cornish garden around you at different times and it's a bit like <laughs> Boris Johnson's whack-a-mole isn't it is I feel that in the many many years I've known you there's always something popping up that you need to do and yeah, that's why I, I really associate with you, that sort of energy. 
a portfolio career of latterly no call it, which basically means, you know, I think it's a polite way of saying jack of all trades, master of... <laughs> no, hang on, let's not go there. <laughs> right, tell me about your first record and why you're choosing it. So when I got the call, which I was delighted to get, I, I started thinking about uh, the work that we've done together and all the stuff that... Uh, all the times we've worked together over the years. And I was trying to think, and I've listened to quite a few of the Tea and Biscuits and quite a lot of the songs have already been chosen and from shows that we worked on. And then I got to thinking about, so the first thing, that one of the first things we did together was I did a stint in Tristan and Azolt. Um, uh, if you remember when you first made it, I emailed you and said, please give me a job, and you didn't. <laughs> but you obviously remembered that because about three years later, you did. You, you called me. In fact, no, it's earlier than that. So I did it at Eden and the Minac the yeah. second time round. And then I, I came back into the show in 2005 and I was a love spotter and was part of the chorus of that and, and went on tour. And we did a huge tour, something like 175 dates all across the UK. And then we went to Australia for six weeks and to New Zealand. And as part of that, all of the love spot spotters got to sing a song in the pre-show. And so and my song, and they were all songs of heartbreak, and my song was Don't Get Around Much Anymore. So I did a version of that in the pre-show, which was huge for me because I wasn't a confident and I'm not a confident singer, though I've got better over the years. So to actually get up in front a song was fantastic. And I latterly went on after that to sing it at my own wedding in the, at, at, the, at the evening. But I was pretty drunk by then, so God knows what the version was like. Miss the Saturday dance Heard they crowded the floor couldn't bear it without you Don't get around much anymore Thought I'd visit the club Got as far as the door They'd have asked me about you Don't get around much anymore Darling, I guess my mind's more at ease But nevertheless, why stir up memories? Been invited on dates Might have gone, but what for? Awfully different without you Don't get around much anymore I guess 
my mind's more at ease but nevertheless why stir up memories been invited on dates might have gone but what for awfully different without you don't get around much anymore awfully different without you don't get around much anymore the glorious tones of Nat King Cole what a brilliant choice do you know what, Si? I found it really hard, almost the hardest tea and biscuits to plan for because we've had so many adventures together. And yeah. in thinking about it, I cannot remember when we met. But before you tell me when we did, because I feel like you've always been part of the Cornish um, life and because you knew Carl Groves and the um, Grinning Gargoyle a lot, you were the sort of the, the generation below me, which I'm sure you're happy to hear now. that sort of so I didn't meet you first off and I can't I cannot remember the moment when we met but what I do know is that your reputation went before you because the most famous Simon Harvey anecdote was that Nehi in the very early days did a big fundraiser with Pete Townsend in the Hall for Cornwall I was not there I was not really it was in the very it must have been in the early 90s Um, and everybody was very excited about it and it was a huge deal and there was a great reverence around it and you as a young buck shouted from the balcony we will destroy you (laughs) and you got bundled out of the auditorium by Bill Mitchell (laughs) (laughs) that sort of became urban myth it actually wasn't Bill that threw me out but but um yeah but Bill was lovely to me afterwards and it was like and the ironic thing was I was actually doing a reading for Mihai the next day so can you imagine that walk of shame walking into the Hall for Cornwall having been literally physically evicted from the building <laughs> for heckling during Mihai's at that time crowning moment to say oh I'm here to I'm here to do some readings for you <laughs> but there are there are certain nameless people who've never forgiven me for that that was like over well 25 years Ago, it's been talked about forever. <laughs> but what was going through your head? Who were you going to destroy? Destroy? Who was the oh. we? And what? What were you drunk, Si? I was. Yes, I can't. I can't dress it up. I was. I used to drink a lot in those days, and <laughs> yeah, and I remember really clearly we were drinking a beer that someone had brought back from holiday called Satan. <laughs> <laughs> just simply Satan beer from France. So we drank that, and I can't even remember what the context was. I do remember that, the, now this might be slightly controversial, but I do remember the concert was a little bit dull, and it was sort of a bit still, and I was up for sort of having a dance around and stuff. And it, so I remember that and sort of getting thinking, come on, this is Pete Townsend, the Who, we ought to get a bit rock and roll here. But yeah, maybe not my, well, definitely not my finest hour. But... <laughs> Well, I don't know, because that, that's in many ways where I feel I met you, even though I wasn't there, because that anecdote. And I just have always loved a disruptor. <laughs> yeah. And then it became, and Bill Mitchell used to say, it became from we will destroy you to we will employ you. Because then I got so much work from Nehi over the years, <laughs> which I loved him for. So when did we meet? Do you remember? Do you know what? Weirdly, I had the same thing. I think we met those Grinning Gargoyle days because... 
Carl, you knew Carl, who's my oldest mate from growing up, and I was directing a show called The Eclipse Play, I believe this is it, and you came in to help us with some physicality, some lifts and things, and you came in and did sessions. So I'm pretty sure that's when we met. Or maybe it was before that on I Saw Strange Cargo, the show that you were in. And I think maybe we met socially then. It's all a bit of a blur, isn't it? I mean, that that time Mm. is a bit of a blur. But what happened is um, you started to work as an actor for Nehi and then you started to um, assist and become my associate on many, many Nehi shows. And we worked as a team for a very, very long time. And we are a good Mm. team because... (laughs) I'm all over the place, aren't I? I'm all instinct, it will come, let it happen. And you are the most <laughs> precise OCD uptight organiser I know. And you used to sometimes go, but what is it, Emma? What is the decision? But as a team, I, it was so brilliant for me to have you there. And I don't know whether you found it brilliant to be watching me f- swan around, but it, it, it felt we had such fun. Well, I did, and I learned so much from being part of those processes and from uh, from working with you. And and actually, that sort of has taught me to be a bit less tight with certain things. So I've got much better at being broad brushstrokes and then that layering detail later. Because you're so detailed, but you're just not detailed. At, at, you you paint a broad brushstroke, and then you get more and more detail as it goes. Whereas I, my inclination is to go detail straight away. And then I'll probably only get about 10 minutes into a show during a six week rehearsal process because I'm so detailed. I just want everything pinned down. But, um, but, but I've got better at that. And, and that's credit to learning from you. And, and we work quite well as a team because there's moments which do need a bit of detail. And sometimes I just go, oh, sigh, just sort it out. And you go into full yeah. organisational duty. It's really fantastic. Yeah, there used to be sometimes be certain actors that would really love some details so you used to just send me off with them <laughs> so I could detail them to death <laughs> <laughs> I know I go a bit blank don't I when people want answers I sort of think oh I don't know and I, I always think it'll come clear it will come clear I always think if you keep just living in a space but anyway yes yeah, so that would be that would drive you I'd see sometimes the red mist go <laughs> Simon's got an ability of the of the rage to go up through his body up to the top of just make a decision. Yeah. Sort it out. But fantastic and very funny. But um, I also I learned from you that sometimes just make a decision. It might not be the right one. Make a decision and then come back. You can revisit it and undo that decision at a later date. Because so sometimes make you know that that was something that I think I learned from you. Yeah, and we should talk about that later because you work a lot in film. And I I always think that's one thing I love about theatre is you can change anything. Even at the end of a run, you can change something. But film is done, isn't it? At some point you say that is what we've got. Mm. We can edit it, we can cut it, but you can't change it. And I I think I love the fact that theatre can change always and does change. So you, you can't even... You can't fight it. You just have to sort of go with it like a canoe down a river, which is something I've never done. <laughs> well, what an analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so my choice is a really classic bang on down the line choice, which has been chosen before. But I'm sorry, me and you, Sai, have done so many versions of Brief Encounter. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, God, which, I didn't, I have no idea which one we're on now, but I'm sure it'll come back at some point. I know. We've just, we know every line backwards. We've interrogated every moment. We've cried at every sad scene and we have pissed ourselves with laughter at every funny thing that happens. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking about with you is it's a really unusual relationship, two directors and friends, is that we have a really different experience of the theatre show than all the actors. So actors remember moments and rehearsals and and, and we sit there, there's a moment when we're just helpless, aren't we? The, the show's directed, the warm-up's done and we just get to sit in an auditorium and, and we can't do anything with pens and papers and we're often like, kids at the back of the school bus aren't we yeah i would like to point out emma you never have a pen and paper so i sit in the auditorium with a pen and paper and you say can i, can I have some paper can i have your pen <laughs> so i i then end up sitting with no pen and paper and you have mine <laughs> you are so disrespectful to me simon <laughs> say to anybody who's listening to this I've now got Simon Harvey on Zoom and Simon Baker sat behind me (laughs) it is is true I cannot achieve a pen and paper (laughs) I'm teaching a directing course at the moment so that should have been the first lesson shouldn't it yeah yeah and I rarely have a pen and paper for that either Right, we're going to do a bit of music. So this is just because we've watched this show so many times and we've agonised over it so many times. And this is the moment of the show when the joy comes and there's you cannot help but um, just feel the love and feel the joy. And we've sat together on so many times and this bit never fails to delight. So it's so good at love. She's so good at love. Her heart is so wise and free. Get that golden goose, whoever it may be, with all her articulate tenderness and so much intensity. He's so good at love when his open heart he yields. No wild words come tumbling from his mouth. Should have stayed concealed, and it's easy to make a bed of bliss out of a battlefield
I feel is is ours actually I mean we 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 share custody of that beast don't we and we've said goodbye to it so many times yeah and I and I think I over the last 10 years I've definitely had a sort of six monthly conversation about when it might be coming back (laughs) I've got so used to when the phone goes in fact strangely David Pugh the producer phoned me the other day and I thought oh here we go it's the it's the brief encounter but it was actually about a different job I nearly fell off my chair What's happened? So, yeah, it's like this is really strange, but I'm sure it'll come again. I am as well. It's like it's like having a child, isn't it, who might go off and do something else, but comes home every now and again. We go, but we definitely do it, and we're a real I team now. I, I still love it. I loved it right the way through the last run as well. Like I never tire of that show because it's so there's so much good about it that I just love the crafting of it and I love how it all works so yeah I never get bored of that show me neither and recasting it is a complete delight isn't it because you think oh we've got a new a new set of people to enthrall us you know whether it's Bev Rudd or Joss Slovak or it's it's just amazing isn't it I, I feel like we sit and just watch these and I'm so romantic about Brief Encounter because I feel that Noel Coward wrote this amazing play and sort of handed it through time and through David Lean and through Rachmaninoff and then through us two dipheads sat in the auditorium of so many because of David Pugh the producer we've done it in so many strange places haven't we yeah theatres warehouses freezing cold cinemas boiling hot cinemas yeah yeah it's been really extreme Minneapolis, you know, 30 degrees below zero out in the streets and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's been all over Australia, which was kind of an eye-opener as well. Amazing. Um, enough about working with me. Talk about your work a bit. Tell me about your... Um, and I'm leading into your next song choice. So talk to me about your theatre directing work, which you never stop from where I'm sitting. Yeah, so um, it's strange because I'm at the moment going through a process of organisational development with my company, and I've, I've basically over the last ten years, I I did I did loads of work with you as an associate, as assistant originally, and then associate, and then sort of touring around, and had just a huge learning curve in terms of sort of looking after the you know being in rehearsals and then looking after the shows on tour and putting those shows in most theatres across Britain certainly and abroad and Ireland and Australia and America and all of that stuff and then and then I started and I was really hankering to sort of and I always did my own stuff so I was directing stuff before we met um, and 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 I had a company called O Region, which you were on the board for a long time, um, sort of producing bits. And then I, and then about ten years ago, I was really hankering to do stuff, and and things just aligned, and I ended up doing lots of freelance jobs here in Cornwall. Because the one thing I've always been really clear on is that I don't want to move out of Cornwall. Um, and I've always seen that not as a lack of ambition; it's just who I am and what where I want to be. 
environment and latterly having kids and stuff. So I ended up just working in lots of different places with lots of different people. And I'm quite, I feel like I'm quite good at sort of adjusting to what the story needs and I'm really interested in all sorts of different things so it comes it gets quite difficult when I'm trying to define like I am at the moment what my work is because for me to operate on a show I have to really fall in love with it in whatever way so whether that's working with you on Steptoe and Son or with Dave Min on Great Expectations or whatever I've got to find my own way into that and then I've got to love it and feel ownership over it to sort of do the work I do on it um, but latterly, in the last couple of years, and I did probably seven or eight years, but I've done something, I don't know, like maybe 50 to 70 shows in the last 10 years. And then, but recently, in the last sort of three or four years, I've, I've started trying to get a bit more authorship of shows and seeing ideas through. So, um, and then a big part of that was a show called Fup, which mm-hmm. I did with Knee High and you remember I'd always really wanted to do it and I originally pitched it to Mike Shepard late 90s um, and and he read it and said oh it's yes I quite like it it's a bit weird I I don't know what you would do with it I kept and I always wanted to do it and I had an opportunity through Knee High to do an R&D and then and out of that R&D I wanted to work with a writer originally and then I thought no maybe I should I think maybe you suggested that actually Mm. you're the one who knows it and I've always tinkered with writing a little bit, but that's the first one that I actually sat and wrote the script from start to finish as well and developed that over a number of years. And that's kind of lit a fire and working in different directions for having more sole authorship of stuff. Not that I want to stop working with other people and developing pieces and sometimes do scripted stuff and devise stuff or one-man shows. I had a weird time a few years ago when I was... I was working on an opera, Noise Noise Flood, which you remember I did at the Bath and West showground. So I had a cast of 500 and then the next week I was literally working on a one-man show with Dave Min doing the Odyssey. So it's been a very weird mix. But you should absolutely be um, writing and adapting your own work because you're like me is that when like you say when you really fall in love with the project that not all of them but sometimes you have to go I I know what I want and it's going to be much easier for everybody if I can get it down on paper and and work from there so it's part of the process it's not egotistical or controlling it's just saying I I'm the one who understands this so it was Mm. absolutely right that you um adapted FUP absolutely right and it was a fantastic piece of work absolutely brilliant had the audience in floods of tears and was indeed weird it had everything it was weird it was Cornish and it was very very moving so what have you chosen so what I wanted to do was, uh, I would have loved to have, because I wrote songs, lyrics for songs, and Ben Sutcliffe from the People's String Foundation, who was the MD on that show, wrote tunes to go with them, and they're the most gorgeous tunes. But unfortunately, we did got no recordings of them. But uh, when I was thinking about it, I thought about the um, what we the playout music, um, and the whole show was about break was about people being repressed ultimately and and breaking through that. So there was a character who, through the course of it, was fencing himself in and the stage got fenced in. And then with the ending of the show, the character pulled the fence down literally and metaphorically and uh, the fence sort of dominoed down and then we had an amazing we did a Buster Keaton with the set so that actually the house which had dominated so the fence came down and then the house came down and did the Buster Keaton around the main character and then my favourite bit was we had a gate 
so the whole thing was about fences and there's a beautiful line in the book which said um, a, a fence is only as good as its gate and then at the end a gate appeared with the Buster Keaton at the front of the set and the character left through that and into the auditorium and off into his life and that was the ending I wanted and then for a play out we used Don't Fence Me In as a song oh give me land lots of land under starry skies above and don't fence me in let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please. Don't fence me in. Just turn me loose. Let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western sky. On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountain rise. I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences. Gaze at the moon until I lose my senses. I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in. saddle underneath the western sky on my cayuse let me wander over yonder till i see the mountain rise i want to ride to the ridge where the west commences gaze at the moon until i lose my senses can't look at hobbles and i can't stand fences don't fence me in don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. Willie Nelson singing Don't Fence Me In, which is one of my favourite songs. It was actually in the interval of Rapunzel, but also mm. I, I think of it for myself a lot. I don't like to be fenced in emotionally yeah, it, or physically. So I, I, it's a little bit, you know, I, I like to roam free in all ways in life. Yeah, and... and yeah, absolutely. And likewise, and for me, I guess, doing that show and finally getting to do it and it working and it and it touching a chord with an audience was likewise a brilliant thing. There was a whole debate, because again, it was your suggestion. The novel that I based it on was set in America and you said, I, I think you ought to set it in Cornwall. And I was really resistant because I love the novel so much for reasons I couldn't always articulate really. And so then I said it in Cornwall and then we did a run in Cornwall and it sort of, it really took off. People really loved it. But then it became a thing that at the time there was a big, you know, we don't know whether this will work on tour and outside of Cornwall, which I was really frustrated by because I thought, well, the story's really universal. Yes, there are local gags in it and there are things that only an audience in Cornwall will get. But then we took it on tour and I remember we went to Nottingham Playhouse and the first show was 
like rocking it was so fantastic and so we had a brilliant pre-show like which was bluegrass covers of songs and there was a really young audience as there is now a-level audience that sort of came along on that Tuesday night they're really whooping and then I remember as the lights went down thinking is this going to work you know that voice mm -hmm. is this going to work is this going to travel you know and they've just got such a fantastic response it's one of the best responses of any show that I've been involved with over the years and kids really sort of got it's it beautiful so show. that for me huge there's always been nervousness around whether shows will travel and if there's something universal in them they do you know and at some point you have to yeah. not be nervous and jump it was a brilliant brilliant show yeah um, I want to talk about film, something I know nothing about, yep. and I can't quite work out how all these young guys in Cornwall have sort of created an absolute movement, a Cornish movement, and you're at the heart of it. Um, and I think the moment that I always knew you were into film, and I always knew Carl was into film, and I think I just sort of thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, the moment that the penny dropped about how important um, Cornish film and your place in it was, was when I watched Midnight Drives. And I've continued yeah. to be amazed since then. But it's a serious, amazing thing that you are doing at the same time as teaching and directing and writing. Talk to me about film and film in Cornwall. So, yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, I grew up watching films. I grew up watching films more than I watched theatre back in the, the early days. So when I was at college, just up the road from here in Truro College, there wasn't a media course at that time. So I think I would have followed film more heavily, but, you know, academically, but I, I wasn't able to, but we were just obsessed with it. And, and through making theatre and putting stuff on, we launched a film night years ago called Rough Cuts and we were sort of pulling and, and all of us were sort of getting involved with making short films and my, my younger brother Brett, who's a brilliant writer-director, was part of that, Carl was part of that, uh, Mark Jenkins was part of that, Laura Hardman was part of that. There was, there was all sorts of people that we met and we were all sort of doing stuff and pushing each other. And it was all from making theatre shows, I think, that we just kind of went, oh, well, I was like, well, it's, it's the same thing, it's just a different medium, so we'll just call people together and put on, make it. And then from that, I met Mark Jenkins and he asked me to produce his film based on that. I had no particular interest in that, but I like getting things done. And Cornwall feels to me like that's why I love being here so much. It's like a place where you can get stuff, I can get stuff done. I wouldn't be able to go somewhere else and do it in the same way. But we just begged, borrowed and stole really and made stuff. And then we applied for some money and we made the Midnight Drives on a, a, quite a small budget really. Um, and, and we just got better by doing it as a team over the years and, and different permeations of teams, but all of us sort of pushing each other on. So we made this film called The Midnight Drives, which was about a father um, bringing his kids to Cornwall out of holiday season, effectively. And Steve Tanner, who's the brilliant photographer who works for Nehi, shot that film. And, and I just got excited about the, that we could up the quality threshold with that and we could make something that would stand up because no one looks at it and goes, this is, this is um, really low budget. I, that's what, we, what, what we've always tried to do, really. And we've just got better and better. The downside is they take a long time because partly because what you were saying before about that process of you can't change it, well, you can in the, in the script writing, and on you sort they say you make a film three times one in the script one in the shooting of it and one in the post-production mm -hmm. so that process takes an awful long time of refining 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 and you have to sort of forget the last version and make the new version of it 
but we made the midnight drives and then brett and i worked together and we shot a film called weekend retreat that was about 10 years ago and then five years ago off the back of weekend retreat we won some awards and and that looked like it was going to take off and we started chasing money which never sort of went anywhere we then made a, a little film called brown willie which is based on a place in cornwall brown willie's the highest hill in cornwall and we made a a film which I acted in, which was a two-hander, and we made, Brett and I just put our own money in because we were fed up with it. And so we said, well, we want to get everyone paid on this, a small amount. We shot for two weeks in March on Bodmin Moor and made this sort of little cult film. And what was really exciting about that was I talked to the local cinema about getting it screened and, and talked them into giving us a week to screen it. And we thought, well, if we put the money in, the worst that ha- that's going to happen is we'll lose the money that we've put in and, and it's a disaster. We might be able to, from a week's worth of screenings, make enough money back to make this break even. Um, and then that sort of was really exciting because in the same way of doing all the theatre shows, we were able to kind of build some momentum. So we ended up doing a six-week run in cinemas down here and getting the film out and screening it across the UK and it went to festivals and things. So that sort of lit a bit of a fire and under us. Did it break us, even? We were going, oh, great. Did it break uh, even? We did, yeah. We did break even. It took quite a while. I was going to say, that's we amazing. Broke even. And it was a brilliant film. And, you know, a very, very low budget. So it cost £15,000 overall, which is sort of unheard of. But everyone told us what was really good and what really motivates me is people telling me I can't do something. So everyone told us, you're mad. You can't shoot all exteriors in March on Bodmin Moor, particularly <laughs> when one of the characters is naked for a, <laughs> a period of time during it. It won't happen. And we were just like, we just wouldn't take no for an answer and said, no, we will make it happen. And, and we did. And then just off the back of that, so Brett and I have continued working together and we had an opportunity last year to shoot a film called Long Way Back, which I sent you the trailer for the other day. Um, And that's the new one that we've worked on and I'm super excited about getting this one out there. It feels like 15 years of making films and we've got better and better. Obviously, we should mention Mark Jenkin as well, he's my other good mate who who won a BAFTA this year for the film that he made a couple of years ago. So he's working with a different producer now, but we're still in constant contact. And then we've just made this film, so it feels like we're all peaking and getting, but I really feel like this is this is a really special project for a variety of reasons well you sh- you sent me the trailer top secret and it broke me the trailer broke me i can't <laughs> i can't i can i can't wait and i also can't bear it either i'm sort of terrified of but i think something that i notice is that not being rude because i'm absolutely at the heart of it but cornish theatre has got a tradition of being quite folksy quite handmade um I, I, I'm trying to not use all the words that we've been so annoyed by for very year, yeah, yeah. many, many years, but a sort of make do and mend. There's a hum- there's a rough humanity about it that people love. Mm. And what's amazing about the film culture that has grown out of Cornwall with those people that you're talking about, with you at the heart of it, Brett, Mark, Steve, Loz, um, it is not that. It's melancholic and it's modern and it's bleak and it's emotional and the artistry is so high. It's very surprising. And the fact that a lot of you work for Nehi and me and are crossing between those worlds, they're very different. It's, I, I think it's almost not what you expect from the Cornish film industry. It's not romantic. It's yeah. not picture box. 
but it's so tender. Yeah, I think because at one point with my company, we were looking at mixing film and theatre and doing sort of hybrid stuff. And and then I, we stopped pursuing that and people keep saying, oh, do you want to get film in your theatre work? And I, and I sort of think no now because I kind of see them as two separate things because like you say, film is lit- like ultimately they're both storytelling so you can take a lot from them in terms of you tell the story and also they're collaborative processes. So a lot about how we build teams is the same on a theatre show or a film and that kind of that empathy with everyone that's making it but the two things are it's just it's like two totally different mediums in that and it is difficult to sort of get you know what it's like if you see a film uh, a theatre actor on film doing theatre acting it just looks dreadful <laughs> so it's like two different mm. totally different things and I, 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 I did a I little like bit of acting on film when I was in my early career and I was so bad so I, I my head was always going like this and people kept saying you have to be still and then I couldn't yeah. I couldn't think or feel anything if I was still and then they'd have to say you you can act a little bit and then I'd, my head would go again <laughs> yeah it's, it's just they're, they're up different so I think the yeah it's just a different medium really and, and that's what we've been really pushing is the production value stuff on the films but it is it is that the teamwork element of making it so I think so Long Way Back stars Tristan at, um our old mate Tristan Sturrock who was in the original Brief Encounter and the original Tristan and Azolt and he was in it and and I think he would tell you that we I build a team in almost exactly the same way and 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 I like that like we work at our best when when we're sort of saying this isn't possible what we're shooting here is not possible so with Long Way Back it was over three weeks we shot um we had to work out how to shoot it's a road movie about a father bringing his daughter back to Cornwall from picking her up from university. So it's a very simple premise, but to actually work out how to legally and safely shoot on roads with an actor acting and driving was so complicated, so difficult to try and work out how to do it and to shoot and to get it all shot in the time and all of that. So yeah, it, like you sort of need a team that are willing to go the extra mile and and pull together and work. And, and I learned that from theatre and, and you know, a lot of that comes to how I put together a team and how I run a shoot or a theatre set comes from what I've learned from you and from Nehi over the years. Well, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm blown away, really. I'm blown away. And the, the work is astonishing. Um, I'm going to um, do my next record. Great. And it has no rev- reference to what we've just been talking about at all, but it's another reference to you and me sat in an auditorium when everybody else has got a job to do. Suddenly, when a, when when you build a show, you're very important as a director. Nothing happens without you telling them what to do and running the room. And then there's the period of tech when you sort of hand over to your creative team and actors are very, you know, they're trying to work out what they do. And then they go into preview and suddenly everybody knows what they're going to do and you're suddenly not needed at all. And you often get, <laughs> you often sort of sit in an auditorium. I often hoover up, don't I? There's sort of, you realise that there's nothing more for you to do except for clear up the cups and hoover and pre-show songs always make me think of that moment and I've often sat with you thinking our our work's done so this is from 946 leaving on a jet plane all my bags are packed I'm ready to go I'm standing here outside your door I hate to wake you up to say goodbye but the dawn is 
is breaking, it's early morn Taxi's waiting, he's blowing his horn Already I'm so lonesome, I could cry So kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go So many times I've let you down So many times I've played around I tell you now they don't mean a thing Every place I go I think of you Every song I sing, I sing for you When I come back, I'll wear your wedding ring So Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go I'm leaving on a jet plane I don't know when I'll be back again Oh babe, I hate to go Now the time has come to leave you One more time, let me kiss you Then close your eyes, I'll be on my way Dream about the days to come When I won't have to leave alone About the time I won't have to say Kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go I'm leaving on a jet plane I don't know when I'll be back again Leaving on a jet plane I don't know when I'll be back again Leaving on a jet plane I don't that was Peter, Paul and Mary leaving on a jet plane. And that's a little bit of a shout out to all the touring we've done and you've done. Yeah, well, that song really reminds me again of Tristan and Azal when we went to Australia and we performed at the Sydney Festival in 2006 and... Uh, we got to know one of the crew there and he had a band and so we went to a, they put on a sort of do for us at the end and he sang us leaving on a jet plane at the end so it's great so I really clearly remember that I bought we bought the CD of this band I've never played it once since but at the moment it felt like oh this is such a special moment <laughs> um leading into your next choice because there's so much to choose from talk to me about your recent theatre work so this was from um, a show called Hereth. So this was the last um, theatre show that I did with O-Region. And this was a co-production with a good mate of mine, a guy called Edward Rowe, um, who's known in Cornwall as a comedian called Kerno King. 
he wrote a script. We've worked together quite a lot over the last five or six years. So he trained as an actor, went off, had a family, went uh, moved back to Cornwall, and then he rebranded himself as a comedian. And um, and I got him into, I worked for the Hall for Cornwall doing their Christmas shows, and I got him into that. And we really hit it off, and we... Um, and we've both got an interest in Cornwall and Cornwall's history and things like that. But again, not folksy. You know, folksy stuff doesn't interest me particularly. He had written a script called Hereth, which was about the Cornish miners. It was an un- the untold story of Cornish miners who in the First World War, when um, when no man's land was a thing and, and the... Germans had dug in on one side and the British had dug in on the other and they got into deadlock. They they worked out they, were, they could either attack through air or underground. And so they they launched this secret sort of plan to, to undermine underneath no man's land to get to the enemy. And so they needed people that could dig fast. And so Cornish miners are historically known as the best diggers in the world. So Cornish miners were requisitioned basically and taken off to sort of do this incredibly dangerous um, work where they burrowed underneath in total silence in their socks because they had to be so quiet. But then, of course, the Germans had the same idea. So you had basically a war being fought underground where they could burrow into each other or you could literally fall through the floor and be in a tunnel of the enemy on both sides. It was like really brutal. So... Ed wrote this script and he asked me if I'd like to be involved and it was and it was all coming and it was when the, the centenary of the First World War. And so we we sort of said, let's go for it. And and he managed to get some sponsorship. We got some arts council money. We pulled it together and we we ended up d- taking over a chapel in St. Just, right down in West Penwith, as far down as you can get in the UK. We took over a chapel and made a theatre, a 350-seat theatre, built a set over the altar and sort of created this and that was a really fantastic place to do it because it was within a stone's throw of the mine where people were requisitioned so we were sort of telling the story of that area and um and then ed had an idea of using he's mates with seth lakeman and he talked to seth lakeman about using his music and so another colleague of ours a good friend of mine called richard healy a musical director took Seth's music and rewrote it and we had a community choir who were part of the performance and he sort of did beautiful like versions of those songs and and yeah it was a really incredible it was really stressful because in terms of because I co-produced it Ed and I co-produced it so we made this pretty big show made a theatre and did 10 nights only and we and we opened on what would have been the last day of the First World War, the centenary of it, and ran for 10 nights. It was a really special piece of work and it was a very moving piece of work to do and it felt like an important story to tell. And so this piece of music is is one of Seth's songs called King and Country. Again, we haven't got recordings of our version, but this was sung in the show by Ben Sutcliffe, who's, who's got one of my favourite voices in the world and an old friend of ours called Mary Woodvine and they sang a duet on it and this sequence in particular I chose because I wouldn't have been able to have directed this the whole show but this sequence in particular is sort of my ode to you in a weird sort of way because 
It's a really complex bit of storytelling. We had to cover a vast amount of time. Um, and, and so this, this opened the second act and it was a, a sequence where you've got a guy going off to war and we had to get them to France and underneath um, into the tunnels. And so it became this kind of stylized sequence, quite a simple bit of storytelling. There was no dialogue at all underneath it and it was just the song playing and, and, and told through images and yeah I, I thought this would be a nice one because I didn't think I I wouldn't have been able to approach I certainly wouldn't have approached it in the way I approached it without having worked with you all over all those years so thank you Folding hills in a silver lane A weeping maiden evening in the rain Roses ramble in the tree Hang low We sit and drink to all good friends we know Cause I'm allowed to leave in June For 25 days no more Now mark that spot from whence I came It's for king and country I'll come back again Season passed without news Two weeks gone and still no autumn tune And these they weep for the last of their spring The dimming days they serve no better king To the doorway, your hands upon her head. The weeping made her lovers lost or dead. Her longest day had only just begun. And she cursed the man who favored for the gun. Just I'm a lover fell for you after 25 years, no more. Spot from whence we came It's for king and country I'll come back Seth Lakeman, King and Country, and the work is fantastic, Si. Thank you for your lovely words. I feel as we near the end of the programme, it's really important that I bring up the most important issue, which is Little Mix. <laughs> oh, God. I'd forgotten about that for 50 blissful minutes. Come on. Come on. I, I know a little bit and I don't know it all. Tell us, 
the story of Little Nicks <laughs> and what's happening right now. Okay, so my daughter and her friends had tickets. My wife was going to take them to see Little Mix in Plymouth about three weeks ago. Obviously, it's been cancelled because of um, coronavirus. So, as a joke, one of the dads said, it's okay, it's okay, guys, we've got a backup. And he'd photoshopped a picture of our heads onto Little Mix, me and three other dads. And we said, oh, that's very funny. And then Helen, who um, you know very well, is a brilliant choreographer, um, and she was saying, come on, we should do this, we should do this, it'd be really funny, I'll teach you a dance and we'll we'll make a video and we'll show the girls. And ha ha ha, and it sort of became a thing and it kind of grew and everyone was going, yeah, when, when are we going to do it, when are we going to do it? So about three weeks ago, we we pulled it together, so we all got dresses and makeup and put it on and we learned, learned one of the songs and we lip-synced to it and we sort of learned a dance routine, but we had a right <laughs> laugh doing it. We all did it via Zoom and we got it cut together. Then on the Friday, on the day of it, the local radio station down here was, we, it got cut together overnight and we sent it to everyone. And the local radio station was doing a thing saying, who's going above and beyond in lockdown? So one of the mums sent the video to Pirate FM um, and they put, and then within half an hour, I was on the phone and they said, they got in touch and said, would you come on air and talk about this? So I went on air and talked about it and they thought it was brilliant. And then they said, where can we see it? So we said, oh, we really thought about that. So we'll, okay, so we all put, shared it on social media that day. Bearing in mind the kids who we'd done it for, I hadn't even seen it by this time. <laughs> so by the end of that day, by the time we showed the kids, it had had 50,000 views. <laughs> right? So it kind of went mad. So then the other local radio station got in touch and the local paper got in touch. And then it just spiralled. And then we had like a big news agency got in touch and said, can we run it? And then it went in the Sun and the Daily Mail and all, you know, all my favourite newspapers um, and sort of grew and grew. And then we ended up going on Good Morning Britain about a week ago. I can't believe this. I cannot believe it. I can't quite believe it either. And it got shared. And so it's been seen over a quarter of a million times now. Um, and 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 then last week we did an interview on Heart FM with Jamie Theakston and and then Little Mix came on and talked to the kids and did all that and it's just gone absolutely mad and people are and it's not showing any sign of abating so I'm kind of horrified you know 25 years of trying to make it work as a as a director theatre maker actor whatever and all I had to do was stick a frock on it would have been so much easier. <laughs> And then the ultimate irony is I had an I had a email from a from a journalist in Singapore randomly who who had a series of questions about it and the final question um, said have you ever considered a career in the entertainment industry <laughs> <laughs> I was like mm, salt in the wound so yes so that's that's cannot, the little phenomenon I cannot believe it but it started off as a really beautiful idea didn't it for your kids. <laughs> Yeah, we did it for the right reasons, but it's sort of, oh man, it's just sort of incredible. But it's also like a real look into, it went on a on a site called Lad Bible, which which does funny videos and all that. And we've had thousands of comments on there. And I spent a, an hour the other day looking through comments and most of them are overwhelmingly positive. People say, oh, isn't this sweet? They did this for their daughters. And the kids were delighted beside themselves. But some of the comments are horrendous. Oh, wow. Accusements of 
damaging our children, etc. And they're like really funny. So I had an inkling into, oh my God, what it would be like to be a celeb would be dreadful. It feels like you've got your next uh, blockbuster movie though, because it sounds a bit like Calendar Kills, doesn't it? <laughs> oh man, yeah. No, I, I, I just want it to end now. <laughs> I'm done with it. Well... <laughs> That's the trouble, though, isn't it? Life doesn't, you know, doesn't play how you want it to play. It might not go away. No, absolutely. Um, well, Simon, it's been really, really lovely to see you and talk to you. And I'm going to play oh, us out you. on a song. It's not really a song. Something that um, makes me think of you. And it was in Blast, which I think was a show directed by Mike Shepard and had a couple of versions but there was a version with you Carl Gross and Craig Johnson and I do not think I have laughed so much in my life or cry it was amazing it was a, it was a clowning version of Cornish history and certainly with my two Cornish lads you and Carl at the centre of it and you from the Malabar estate I just think you're amazing so before I play this out I just want to say that you're my Cornish renaissance man driven in equal measures of deep rage and deep love I've loved having you by my side on so many adventures you're very loyal you're very talented and you are very rude to me I am in awe of your many talents and your drive and I cheer you on as you fight laugh delight nurture and challenge the Cornwall art scene you're a true artist and I don't often miss you Si oh likewise thank you Ems it's been absolutely lovely I'm going to play out with Trelawney Yes! My Cornish man.
If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.